0: good to see you all this morning. I'll ask you, if you would, to turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 5, as we continue our verse-by-verse study in John's Gospel. Next week, Lord willing, we're entering into chapter 6, one of my favorite chapters in John's Gospel along with chapter 10, chapter 11, uh, chapter 17. Those are all favorites. We've been talking in, about Jesus' person, his identity, who he is, who he claimed to be, and, and to the Jews... Uh, He has given evidences of his person. In verses 41 to 47, which we look at this morning, Jesus begins to bear down harder on the unbelief of the Jews. He challenges their inconsistency, saying that they are willing to receive others in their own name, but him he will not receive when he came In his father's name, even with all of the testimony that he provided for them. In verses 41 to 47, we read. I do not receive glory from people. But I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote of me, but if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Let's pray. Our Father, we come now this morning to this last passage in chapter 5 of John's Gospel. We see the Lord Jesus as he defends his deity And his lordship in this chapter to the Jews. It's difficult for us to imagine that they would have the very author of life standing before them and not see who he was. And yet, they were blind. They were deaf. They could not understand. And they could not believe And they would not believe. So Lord, teach us this morning. Help us to see that the lost and dying world around us is in this same situation. And we pray that we would get a fresh insight to the power of the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, at our last study of this passage two weeks ago, Jesus was debunking the Jews' arguments as to his identity as the Son of God. He has given them multiple witnesses that proves who he is. He started with the works that he was doing, which were indeed the works of the Father. If you'll recall, he had... He had healed a man of his uh, being paralyzed, a man who had waited for 38 years at the pool of Bethesda. And on the Sabbath day, Jesus came along and healed this man. And Jesus tells the Jews that it was that work of healing that man on the Sabbath that was indeed the work of the Father because Jesus only did What were the works of the Father? This must have upset the Jews greatly, for they would not believe that God would do anything of such a nature on the Sabbath, for it was forbidden by their own law and understanding. He then gives them an opportunity to believe the gospel, mentioning John the Baptist and the message that John preached. A message of repentance, a message of forgiveness of sins, but they did not hear John's message and they did not hear Jesus' message. I find this striking that Jesus, who knows the hearts of these hard hearted, self righteous Jews, gives them an opportunity to hear and believe the gospel, even though he knows their hard hearts will not accept it. Is it not the same today? Do we not take the gospel to a hard-hearted and blinded world? And yet we preach the gospel to everyone, not just to those we think deserve it or those we think are God's chosen people. We don't know who they are. We give it to everyone. The most wicked to the least. Then he speaks of the Father himself. And finally, he speaks of the scriptures. These are all these are all witnesses to his deity. All witnesses to the fact that he is indeed the Son of God. This, the scriptures were that which the Jews prided themselves in, but not realizing that they really spoke of him. They spoke of Christ. Jesus relates the stubbornness of the Jews in verse forty. Where he says, yet you refuse to come to me that you might have life. Yet, that word yet speaks of all of these testimonies, these witnesses that Jesus has brought forth. I've given you witness, he says. Yet you refuse to come. You do not want to come. You do not want what I have to offer. So after all the evidence he has given them, they refuse. Why? He has he has produced as to his person, and they refuse it. The refuse they refuse the life that he has for one main reason: they want the praise of men. They want the praise. of of men. Now, we think about this in relation to who they were. They were Pharisees, they were religious leaders of the day. And we we point to religious leaders and we say, "Yes, you see, you want the praise of men." But listen, it is no different with the common ordinary people that are not religious leaders. It's no different. It's still a serious problem. It's a serious problem for everyone who is religious but lost. The accolades of man are addictive and lead many to spiritual ruin. Jesus did not seek the praise of men. He only sought the praise of His Father who loved Him. He said others... Who came to the Jews would be received. But Jesus was not received. Why would this be? It's because the others who came and told the Jews. That they were the Messiah. That they were leaders. Told the Jews what they wanted to hear. People do this all the time. They know just what to say. They know just what to tell a religious leader or some, someone else for that matter. Just what they know that person wants to hear in order to pacify their minds that they are what they say they are. This happened over and over to the Jews. People who would claim to be leaders would come to them and some would claim to be the Messiah. And the Jews would receive them. Because those people told those Jews what they wanted to hear. Over the centuries there have been upwards to 62 different people who have claimed to be the Messiah. But they were all false Messiahs. And as we approach the latter days of the end times as we are studying in our fit time. As we approach the end, there will be more false messiahs that will arise. More religious leaders that will lead many astray. Jesus warned his disciples in Matthew 24. If anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. I'm so glad he put those words, if possible, in there. Because it is not possible to deceive God's chosen people to the degree that they are no longer his. Finally, the Antichrist, the ultimate false Christ, will appear and deceive the world into believing that he is God, and he will even make the world worship him as God, according to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. John the Baptist didn't waste any time trying to pacify the Jews or make them think he was someone great, and neither did Jesus They both simply proclaimed the gospel. They simply proclaimed boldly the truth. Regardless of the consequences. And so must we. If we are going to be true to the word of God. And to the Christ that gave his very life's blood for us. Then we must hold true to that as well. The Jews... Later acknowledge, later acknowledge this in Matthew 22, verse 16. But we know that in that passage, as they speak flattering words to Jesus, it was nothing more than a trap. Luke 20, verse 20, indicates that they were seeking to trap him in what he was saying. This is what they said to him. Though they didn't believe a word of it, they said this... And they sent their disciples to him, along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true, and teach the way of God truthfully. And you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Now, every word of that is true. But they didn't believe that that was true. They were simply trying to catch him out. So that they could accuse him to the authorities and have him arrested. Jesus relates to them that grace was, that the grace that was in the gospel message that they, and that they blatantly refused it. You do not have the word of God in you. You do not have the love of God in you. You have refused it. They were more concerned about how it would look to others than their own soul's condition before God. They loved themselves and made no room for the love of God. And that's why Jesus said, you do not have the love of God in you. To love God means that God's love resides in you because he first loved you. You cannot love God until, unless God loves you first. John's very clear on that. If we love him, he loved us first. We call this peer pressure. Peer pressure has always been a motivator for people, no matter where they are in the world I find this to be a, still be a very much of a problem with people you you give someone the gospel you tell them about Christ and and that they need to repent of their sins and follow Christ and they'll say things like well if i become a christian what will my friends say if i become a christian what will my What will my parents say? What will my family think? I've had people say to me, if I believed what you believe, people would think I've gone crazy. And I remember very clearly, back in 1971, when the Lord saved me, people thought I had gone crazy. They said, I was a crazy fanatic. The word fanatic was used quite a lot about Christians in those days. And I just simply replied, Well, if being a Christian means I'm a fanatic, then I guess I'm a fanatic. Times have not changed. Salvation can only be had when one humbles themselves before God and cares not what anyone else thinks about it. Remember the publican who, on his knees, beat his chest saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He didn't care what anybody else thought. All he knew was he was a sinner and he needed forgiveness. It requires a humbling of oneself and a receiving of God's gift without any merits of one's own or consideration of themselves. To the self-righteous Jews, this was a disturbing and offensive message. The self-righteous love, the message of a Do it yourself, salvation was theirs because it is one of their own, it was one of their own making. This is true of every sinner. They want to come to God on their own terms. You ever had anybody say to you, Well, I'll become a Christian when? And I say, No, you won't. it's not it's not up to you to choose when and how this is this is something god does and until you humble yourself before him and repent of your sins it won't happen we have a very pertinent illustration of this in second corinthians chapter 10 if you'd turn there with me second corinthians 10 the Apostle Paul had preached the gospel to the Corinthian people. They had come to faith in Christ. But after Paul left and over a short period of time, other others came in who were calling themselves apostles. They were false apostles. By the way, there are many false apostles still walking around. People who say they, they are apostles of Christ and they are false ones many of them most of them are claimed to have special revelations from god that no one else has if you hear that run the other direction they are false so these are these these self-centered very self-centered false apostles came in teaching something that was different from what paul taught but they were they were very persuasive. They were, they appeared to be wise and, and they were very impressive. And they caused the Corinthians to become somewhat swayed in their opinions and their belief. They questioned what Paul had said to them. No doubt these people had very strong personalities and were very charismatic in their, in their Demeanor. And the Corinthians, being proud Greeks, liked what they heard and began to look down their noses at the Apostle Paul and his teachings. And so Paul writes to them, and this is what he says, beginning in verse 12 Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves. Who's he talking about? Talking about these false apostles. They came in and they were commending themselves. Listen to what he says. But when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. In other words, they didn't know what they were talking about. Beware, people who compare themselves with other people to try to make themselves look good verse 13 but we will not boast beyond limits but we'll boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us to reach even to you what's he saying he's saying that God gave God gave Paul a a directive to bring the gospel to the Greeks, he, he went to Corinth, he preached the gospel and the Corinthians, many of them were saved. Verse 14, for we are not overextending ourselves as though we didn't not reach you because he certainly did reach them with the gospel. For we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. You see, it's not about Paul. Paul, Paul is nothing. It's the gospel that's everything. It's Christ that's everything. Verse 17. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. If God commends a person, then they are commended. And no one can refute it. But if a person commends themselves... Builds up themselves. Listen, this is the Joel Osteen mentality. Have your best life now. It's all about you. Build yourself up. Get everything you can get now. When people seek approval from the world, they abandoned the desire to please God. John speaks of this in his first epistle, chapter 2, verse, beginning at verse 15. He says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of possessions, is not from the Father, but is from the world, and the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Children, this is the last hour. And as, as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know it is the last hour. And when they come, they went out from us because they were not of us for if they had been of us they would have continued with us but they went out that it might be made plain that they were not of us but you have been anointed by the holy one and you have all knowledge you all have knowledge i write to you not because you do not know the truth but because you know it and because no lie is in the truth And this is why he says in verse 44, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek glory that comes from the only God? How can you believe? The answer, cannot. Cannot. This is why they would receive others who came in their own name, but would not receive Jesus who came in his Father's name. His probing question is one that everyone must face. It is the reason for their rejection of Christ. And the reason that so many reject Him today. In essence, He is saying this. How can I be glorified as Lord? How can I be glorified as your Lord? When you are seeking the glory for yourself. Listen, every sinner is seeking glory for himself. That's what sinners do. That's why they don't come to Christ. Because in coming to Christ, they would have to humble themselves and say, it's not me, it's you. And that goes against the grain of humanity. They were constantly pursuing glory for themselves from other people, the Jews. Even to the point that they would make themselves look used and run down and and weak standing on the street corners so that people would have pity on them and think oh look how holy they are look look how religious they are they were addicted to rec- to recognition and praise that should belong to god because it comes from God. Now behind the facade of righteousness. that was There was a willingness to receive others who claimed to be the Messiah. Who used words of flattery. Or had the same beliefs and values as the Jews. They would receive those people. But Jesus never flattered. Never pandered to their fallen cravings. And neither should we. We need to stand firmly against sin and corruption because that's what the Lord did. The only glory worth pursuing was the glory that came from the only true God. That glory was standing right in front of them, but they were blind to it. John sums up their pitiful situation in chapter 12. Flip over to chapter 12, if you would. Beginning at verse 36. These people are living in darkness. They are blind. And Jesus says this. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may be the sons of light. And when Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. And though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom is the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, verse 39, therefore they could not believe. Jesus asked them the question, how can you believe when you're seeking the glory that belongs to God? Therefore they could not believe, for again Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Verse 41, Isaiah said these things, listen to this now, Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, the authorities believed in him. Many of the authorities believed in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it. So that they would not be put out of the synagogue. Now listen to this last statement. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. They did not believe until salvation. They were not willing to give up their prestigious place for Christ. The glory that comes from God is in the Son of God. The point here is that when God doles out glory in the person of His Son, it is meant to return to Him through His Son. That's That's why He gives the glory in the face of His Son, as Paul writes. We'll look at that here in a moment. They didn't recognize the glory of the Son. How could they possibly believe in that situation? Their only hope was to become a true Jew and believe in the true Messiah in whom the glory of God shone. Paul gives the antidote to these things in Romans 2 and 2 Corinthians 4. Romans 2 verse 29. But a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. It's not a physical thing. It's a spiritual thing. His praise is not from man, but from God. Jesus is saying, if you want to be a true Jew, you have to be one like Abraham was. Who believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. To keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Who is the image of God. God has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Verse 5. For what we proclaim is not ourselves. But Christ Jesus as Lord. There is the gospel message. That Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. If he is not Lord, then there's no glory. He has to be recognized as Lord. That means he is the master. That means he, ge- he calls the shots. That means he gives the commands and we obey them. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Now listen to this. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of who? Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus This glory that he is talking about to these Jews was in himself. And they did not recognize him. And therefore God's glory was hidden from them. It's no different today. There has to be a heart change. There has to be an inner working of God that enables the darkened, closed heart to believe. It cannot believe on its own. We're going to see that very clearly in John chapter 6. So it makes it one of my favorite chapters. Now in the last two verses of this chapter, Jesus projects forward into the future to the last day when these Jews would stand before God and all men ultimately would stand before God for judgment. And his words, his words cut to the heart of their malignant false system. They believed in Moses, yet Jesus said Moses was going to be their judge. That must have infuriated them those who held so closely to moses put their hope in moses to hear that moses was going to condemn them in judgment his primary purpose jesus primary purpose was not to come as a judge but to come as a savior john 3:17 did not come to condemn came to save Now this last statement by Jesus would have stunned the Jews because they placed all their hopes in Moses. To them it was Moses who was intervening and mediating for them, to God. It was unthinkable that one day Moses would condemn them. After all, it was Moses that they had received As their teacher and as their leader. John 9 verse 28. They reviled him saying. You are his disciple. But we are Moses' disciple. Speaking to the man whom he had healed. Those statements. Statements like that would be one day be their undoing. Now Jesus says to them. If you really believe Moses. Then you would believe me. Because Moses wrote about me. What would he be referring to? Well no doubt he would be referring to. uh, Scriptures like numbers 21 verse 9. So Moses made a bronze serpent. Set it on a pole. And if the serpent bit anyone. He would look at the bronze serpent and live. Moses wrote about Christ. Who was lifted up. And anyone who looks to him in faith. Lives. That was a picture of Christ. Or Deuteronomy chapter 18 verse 15. Where he says. The Lord your God will raise up for you. A prophet like me from among you. From your brothers. It is to him you will listen. So Moses is saying. There is going to be another prophet. He's going to be greater than me. You listen to him not me. They disregarded these statements. But I think it's more than just a handful of Old Testament passages that Jesus is referring to here. I think it's all of the Old Testament passages that he is referring to. For the for the Old Testament, every single bit of it is about Christ. What Jesus is referring to is the entirety of the Old Testament. You remember, after his resurrection on the road to Emmaus, he met two disciples and he talked to them. And it says in verse 27 of Luke 24, beginning with Moses, that would be the the Pentateuch, the first five books, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. To take the Old Testament and leave Christ out is to do injustice to it. For it's about Him. They were adherents of the law of Moses. And they had received God's law from the hand of Moses. And yet it would be that very thing that would seal their doom. That law. That they put so much stock in would condemn them for eternity. They misunderstood the purpose of the law. It was there to show them their sin and lead them to Christ. But they set up a rigorous set of rules and regulations based upon it, many that were based upon their own selfishness and self-righteousness. This is why Paul writes to the Galatian churches in chapter 3 verse 24. So then the law is our guardian until Christ came. In order that we might be justified by faith. By faith. Keeping rules and regulations of the law never saved anyone. And it could never save anyone. He makes that very clear in Galatians 3 verse 10. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. What does that remind you of? It reminds me of the false religious systems, even some that have quote-unquote Christian in them, where people are keeping rules and regulations thinking that that is going to take them to heaven. And it won't. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and to do them. You want to be saved by the law? you got to keep it perfectly every single day, every moment of your life. You have to keep it perfectly. And nobody is able to do that. Paul writes to the Romans in chapter 3. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. So that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world be held accountable to God. Everyone is guilty before God based upon God's law. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Because it is from the law that comes the knowledge of sin. Law-keeping is useless. You say, well, does that mean then that you can go out and just do whatever you want and it doesn't matter? Uh, certainly not. Christ has given us commands to obey and those commands we are to obey because of our love for our Savior. We live by grace through faith in Him. Not by working this or that, to try to gain some kind of approval from Him. None of our works could gain any approval. The only works that gain approval are the ones done in the Spirit. Through love and faith. And those are the gifts of the Spirit. They don't come from us. We just join in with what the Spirit does. It must be believed by simple faith in what God has said. And this is what Jesus is saying to them. John Trapp, the great Puritan writer, said, He that will not take God's word in one place will take it in no place. You ever heard people say, Oh, well, I believe this is true, but I don't think that part's true. Or that part shouldn't be there. Well, you can't just pick and choose what you think ought to be there. I say, you either believe it all or you don't believe any of it. So what is the purpose of scripture? The purpose of scripture is the revealing of what, some would say it's the revealing of what God has done through, to mankind and with mankind through history. And it certainly does reveal that. That's not the purpose. Others would say it is to reveal truth to the world. And it certainly does reveal truth to the world. But that's not the purpose of Scripture. The purpose of Scripture, the main purpose of Scripture, is to point people to Jesus Christ. So that their sins can be forgiven. So that they can become children of God. Suppose, to illustrate it, suppose... That you and your family decided that you were going to make plans to go on a picnic. And so you pick a particular park to go on this picnic. And so you, you get in the car. You've got your picnic baskets and your coolers ready. You get in the car and you're driving. And finally you come to a sign that contains the name of the picnic grounds that you want to go to. What do you do now? Do you get out of the car. and Go and spread out your. Blanket around the signpost. No. You follow the signpost. To the place. Where the picnic grounds are. That's what the scriptures do. They're the signpost. That says Christ is this way. You don't. Picnic around that signpost. You follow it to the one it speaks of. This is why God, this is the way that God gave the scriptures, so that you and I, sinners that we are, might come to Christ with a full and true knowledge of the Father. Who Christ is, what He has done, and what He is going to do in the future. It is in Him that we find the life that we were missing. This was Jesus' message to the Jews. You will not come to me that you might have life. Even after I've given you all of these witnesses. Now as we move into chapter 6, we're going to see Jesus do Two more miracles in this in this passage, and then he goes into the the uh, section on the bread of life, and a great doctrinal section of John's gospel is found in chapter six. The two miracles that he performs in John six make the water to wine and the paralytic man or the paralyzed man. Uh, being able to be healed, make them pale in in comparison. So that's where we're headed. I want to thank you for coming today. And I pray that what we've seen in John's gospel thus far has helped you to solidify in your mind the great power and love that Jesus has for his people. We see that just exaggerated as we go through, especially in this next chapter, chapter 10, chapter 17. They're all all just filled with the kind of love that he has for his own. As undeserving as we are to have it. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this Lord's Day. We thank you for the Word of God and for the teaching that it gives us we thank you for Jesus and who he is not just his person but who he is for us he is our savior he is our lord he's our master he's our king our potentate our sovereign we desire to obey you lord to walk with you to make much of you To treasure you and to show others the treasure that you are. I pray, Lord, that we would do that in these days when the world seems to be pushing you even further away from the minds of people. That we might be a light in a darkness that would show them the light of the glory of the gospel of Christ in the face of Jesus. We thank you and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.